Pelletero Pickle episode 101. We're going to get into a lot of uh, swing mechanics today, a lot of stuff about Aaron Judge, about the different hitting coaches of the world. We, we don't really usually go in this deep into detail about individual people, but kind of do that today. A lot of playoff discussion, a lot of uh, just playoff stuff because that's the time of year. We're at the end of the season. Uh, we did some recap on the Future Stars main event that was at Fenway Park, which was a lot of fun. Um, pretty good episode. Some things going on in Pelotero world. The uh, web app is up. It is live. Bugs are being addressed. The Hit AI tool, which will take your slow motion swing from your phone and automate the analysis as all the formulas are going in, all the algorithms are getting built. Just ongoing development on the platform to keep making things better. A lot of work still to do but some really, really cool features coming out and users using it, which is the most important thing. We can actually start helping players and making a difference. So uh, check out this episode. A lot of good, uh, if you're into swing mechanics and debates and uh, drama, you probably like this one. We weren't too dramatic, but maybe some people will think we were. So uh, check it out, 101, Pelotero Pickle. Get in there. Pelotero Pickle, episode 101. We return back to our boring setups after being in Fenway last week. Uh, before we get started, reminder, send us emails to pickle at pelotero.com. Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at Pelotero Pickle. We love your questions. We actually have a mailbag today, which would be fun. Chris, how are you doing today? Hi, Bob. I'm good. You, you seem a little... Uh, Tired. I know we had some dog trouble. No, I'm not tired. I'm I'm tired of the world. Well, that's being crazy intense. <laughs> it's a little intense. Like, how deep are we going here? Are we talking about like World War Three about to start? The economy collapsing? Like, how? Where are no, we going? I with just this? don't understand why people are angry. Like, my dog's angry. My wife's angry. Everybody's angry. Like, stop being so angry. Just smile. I watched the thing on uh, on Gary Vee this morning, and he was talking about he chooses to be optimistic. I'm choosing to be optimistic all the time. I don't want to be around people that are pessimistic and negative. My dog was pessimistic Good. and negative today. Wouldn't eat. Wouldn't eat. And Clutch is Tell so high maintenance. you got to eat. He's got to eat, right? And then I gave him his pill pockets, which are like guaranteed. Eat him. Wouldn't eat him. Had to put peanut butter on him. Had to give him a turkey burger and put peanut butter on the pill pockets. He's the definition of high maintenance for a dog. Yeah, no heads up today. It's too late no now. There's no, there's no behavior change coming for him. He's no, he's but setting the, his the, ways. There's no, the problem no was, chance. I didn't even get the heads up, right? Like I didn't even get the heads up. They didn't eat breakfast. They didn't have his pills. So I was jaunting around doing my thing this morning, like la di da. And then all of a sudden, bam! Noontime. Oh, clutch didn't eat. With uh, with children, we just tell them, "I hey, guess what you're going to be hungry. Figure it out." Yeah, I get it. Next time you I, next time you're hungry, next this is when the, when the girls complain that they're hungry. We'll be like, "Hey, you remember when you didn't eat? That's what you get. You earned it." The problem is, I'm worried that he's like sick because I'm watching him and he's like kind of shivering. He's over in the corner right now by himself. How cold is it in, in the northeast? It's right now? freezing. He's definitely cold. It was. It was 55 degrees here today, and 
it was it was refreshing and it was nice, but no more. That's enough. Freezing, fifty degrees. My basement's even colder. I got yeah. a bat next to me. If I pick this up, I wonder if he'll come running over. Maybe we both have bats. It's going to be a very mechanics-heavy episode based on topics. Is it though, uh, or is it just going to be a hitting episode? Uh, there's going to be there's. I would say it's there's a mechanical-heavy aspect to it, but that's all right. Let's talk about Fenway first. We had a uh, Future Star Series main event at Fenway. You were coaching. You were in uniform coaching, which is exciting. Uh, he's. Chris is just walking away from his computer, so I'm going to buy time right here. Chris was coaching. <laughs> he, uh, he was on the red team. They went 3-0. and Chris obviously is taking all credit for his team, scoring more points than the other teams because that's what happens. Uh, he got a fungo, which he was very excited about because uh, I think he said it was his first fungo ever. It's got his, I think it has his name on it, which is pretty cool. Um, first thing he did when he got there was cut the sleeves off the hoodie so he could be like Aaron Boone. Um, in terms of gameplay, I thought it was pretty good baseball. Um, kid at a homer at Fenway Park. That's pretty cool. Uh, Priest, last name Priest. Lefty, he was hitting balls out of the stadium in Hartford. That's pretty impressive. Uh, I need to shout out Javi Torres because that kid is yeah, – That's I can't – every time I think about that event, I go back to Javi Torres just dominating. And there were a lot of really good players there, but he stood out to me the most. Uh, what was your biggest takeaway? There's the very event? few at bats I would opt out of. Javi, I would opt out of. I, I didn't want to hit against him. Um, yeah, just I thought it was cool, man. I, I'm surprised at how cool, to be honest with you. Like, pleasantly surprised. I thought it would be cool, but it was super cool. Um, really good players, man. It's. It, I think there's... I, I always have a hard time really figuring out where the level should be in high school. Um, but those guys are all pretty good. And that's probably why they're going to division one schools on scholarships and going to get drafted. Um, impressive. The, 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 the weird thing about amateurs is no matter how advanced they are physically, they, they haven't had enough time to soak up all the lessons mentally and in terms of just maturing and no matter how good you are, you still got to go through the ringer a little bit. So it's, uh, that part's interesting, which is why I feel like, you know, I could make an impact in some way. Yes, I did get a fungo. I have my name on it. Sorry about it. That's cool. Cut the sleeves off the hoodie because why wouldn't you, why would you just be like everybody else? It should be different. And, uh, yeah. My team did go three and zero. Yeah, I thought there were some good hitters. They too. did go three and zero. It's good. The pitching was very good. I mean, there's going to be multiple first round draft picks coming out of that event, so the the talent was there. Every pitcher was either upper eighties or, or well into the nineties. Good breaking balls, good off speed, secondary offerings. Um, pretty good at bats. After after the first the first game was quick, and then the bats got a little warmer. Um, I just thought it was good. I mean, we, we got a ton of content. We, we did interviews with players. We had you mic'd up for batting practice. Tons of really good, cool content is going to come out of it. Um, and more than anything, I just thought the players were good and the players were – they were, like, confident. I, I don't know that I would have been that confident at that 
on that stage at that age. Advice to players at that level. We did actually a couple of good interviews. We had uh, Jeremy Booth and uh, Gordon, who's the one of the uh, the head scouts for the <clears throat> for those events. Really good advice on like what they're actually looking for, and it's never it's a hundred percent not what parents and kids think they're going to say. But one of the overarching themes was that at some point you're going to meet your physical equal. So I thought that was a good just a good message that at some point you're going to be playing against players who are as physically capable as you are, then what? So they're looking for the characteristics that define you as a person, as a player, your competitive spirit, your determination, your ability to deal with failure. Like you talk about JD Martinez and his JD Martinez wants to be better. If you give him money to play baseball, like a lot of money, he's not going to lose his ability to want more yearn. Like that's part of yearn. his, his part of his skill set yearn is good yeah part of his skill set is that he wants to be better and money doesn't define that some guys Which get, brings get, me to my next and get paid and then they just chill well i mean the segue right like think about aaron judge like aaron judge could have could have just cooled out at like 40 like 280 and 40 every year 270 and 40 or whatever it is and and he would have been fine and then now you're looking at one of the most historically dominant seasons of all time. Like that's what makeup is. It makeup is. And, and I, I told you that this is the thing I was talking with Gammons about at, at Fenway at the top of your scouting report. It should say, how much do you love baseball? Like at the top of every scouting report, how much do you love the game? Cause if you love the game, you'll keep trying to get better forever and ever. Like, and believe you, it or if not, if you ask that question, the person, the, the response, there should be a delay for the person to try to like find the words to figure out how to describe it instead of being like, Oh, I really like it. I love this is a psychoanalysis part, right? How do I find it? How do I find the words to possibly explain how I feel about it? This is the psychoanalysis part about understanding the human and makeup and character. And if we could invent a test that was really this, a like it related, you know, how long you wait till the light turns green to cross the street to figure out, if you're, you know, how deep rooted your passion is. Um, and th- this is why people in our society think, oh, this guy's lying or he's a poser or he's fronting. Because at, I would venture to say that if you asked every kid at that field, they would say they love baseball, right? But there's different tiers of it. And you like, if you're around it long enough, you, you identify it. And that's, that's part of the problem I have with evaluation process altogether because if somebody had taken the time and I, I, you know, I reflect back to my own experiences and to your experiences, if somebody had just taken the time to really distinguish between me and the guy next to me, there's no doubt that they would have found out that I cared more. And because I cared more, I was going to put myself in positions to be able to do the things that I did. Now, selfishly i would say like yeah it would have been cooler if you did if you gave me the opportunity younger but in a lot of ways it's almost like you you inspired me and pushed me to do more and i i can wholeheartedly say that had i gotten the opportunity sooner it's not like i would have changed the way i went about it because i still would have been striving to get better but i just don't understand when when people are satisfied like it never it never makes sense to me and this is a big conversation that i had this weekend when i was at rutgers was like 
like what like what does it look like in people's brains to want to be successful like the guys go okay well cool like if i hit 300 with like six homers this year in college like i'll feel good about my year like that's a barrier like that's a restriction and i think we all do it naturally right we all say hey if i get to these numbers i'll feel good about it but isn't it bigger than that isn't it deeper like I don't know. Going down. There was a really good quote in the article. Um, I logged in on this computer. I'm going to log in real quick to get the exact quote. There was a good quote where they were talking about, Judge was talking about being accused of being a home run hitter. Uh, And he said, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think of myself as a home run hitter. I just trust my ability. Like, yep, that's it. Well, he's a cyborg, right? It's that helps. For sure. Yeah, Doesn't I hurt. think there's a there's a the thing that I really like. But um, but everybody needs to do that though, regardless of whether or not you're cyborg or not. At yeah. some point, you need to trust your ability and your like what you what you bring to the table. And if you try to do more, so going back to the question about giving advice at those games, don't try to do anything extra special. Just go play your game, have fun, play loose. Do what you do your thing. Don't try to do somebody else's thing. Do your thing and trust it. So but to, that, to that point, right? You know what Aaron Judge decided he was going to do this year? He decided he was going to hit 300. And it, it was like clear. I've had multiple conversations with people that know him. Like he decided he was going to hit 300 because people didn't think he could hit 300. And that to me, so. I look I like if you look around the league, right? And you look at guys and you know, we always point to Gallo and and the guys like Dahlbeck. It, there are a lot of guys that are like cool with hitting 220. They're just like, all right, I'm good with it. And the, are I, they cool with it or are they just not good? No, they're cool with it cuz Bobby if they weren't if they weren't cool with it, they would change. They would do something different. That's like I'll fundamentally I'll give you that. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, I'm so tired of watching guys going up with the same tired ass stance and the same tired ass swing when they hit 220. Like, no offense to Chris Davis, the 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 big lefty Chris Davis. There's a ball sign in there. I love Chris Davis. I think he's salt of the earth type guy. Like, enjoyed talking to him, playing against him. But there was a stretch where he was abysmal, and he was getting paid a hundred and forty million dollars to be atrocious. And like there was no change, there was no change on a like it was the same setup, it was the same hand position, it was the same swing, and it fucking sucked. Like it was brutal, dude. It's brutal to watch that. Like as an athlete, I'm sitting there. I'm like, this dude is making money hand over fist, and he's refusing to try to get better. Like that's annoying. Like, you know how annoying that is as a guy on the other side of the field? Because I would just never let it happen. Bro, if I was hitting 250, I'd be losing my mind. Like, I, like Juan Soto is probably, like, really angry this year, if I had to guess. Because he's looking up at 245, even though it's 890. We need, like, we need I'm telling you, that guy, ain't sleep, that guy ain't sleeping right right now. If, if, if he's anything like I think he is. Yep. All right, let's let's get into the the details of this article because it's 
talking about the adjustments that Aaron Judge made. So we're going to get into it a little bit. Uh, shout out Pete Fatsy, who got some shine in this article as well. Uh, did you read this article? Did you did you go through it? I have not. We don't need to. <clears throat> We've talked about this enough just because this is what, this is what we do. We just talk about stuff like this. So let's talk about the adjustments. There's, there's some conversation about timing. So teacher man, Rich, I'm going to call him Rich because I not going to call him teacher man. So he's talking <laughs> about the adjustments that, that Aaron made and some of the, some of the Aaron judge benefited from the teachings, the things that Rich talks about. Aaron, if you look at his swing in, in college, he crashed forward. He's way out front. Saying the, a lot of the barrel angles are very, very similar. He needed to learn how to stay back. He, he needed to learn how to control his shift and not, fall forward because if you fall forward like that you can hit the ball of the moon but off-speed stuff's going to eat you alive you're just you're in trouble from a timing standpoint so there's probably like two percent of the hitting world even cares to go into this type of detail but we're going to go there anyway what what i saw from judge over the last few years and this has been like perpetuated through tiktok and instagram and twitter and whatever he would just he just pinned his bat behind his head and turn left. And if you if you get your scap pulled back and you circle your scap or whatever words you want to use, I don't care. Everything comes down to bat orientation and leverage. Like how is your how is the bat going to move about your body? How are you going to create leverage on the bat? And what's the resulting timing of that? That's that's all it is. And when he was getting the bat pinned behind his head and his scap is crazy pinched back and then he's hanging on his back leg and snapping, like your swing is going to go left the entire time. If you, if, you, if you stay back a little bit too much, you're going to go left hard and you're going to swing straight up. So he went, he need, if you swing like that, you have to think oppo so hard to fight against the tendency, which is to go straight left. And if you... Lean back a little bit too much, you're going to swing and miss on everything, and you're not going to pop up and hit over the fence like Aaron's capable of doing. So now he's got his hands out away from his face. He's doing drills where he's standing on his back leg and getting a forward move and call the stretch. And you're, I don't care about the wording because ultimately you're just getting into positions. He's created swing direction this year that he did not have because he's got his hands further away from like in front of his face. And that was the, the, the intro to the article was Rob Ref Snyder and Pete were talking about the adjustments that he made. They also so, called Pete the assistant the last, hitting coach, which is rude. Yep. That is, yeah, that's not, they got to update their, uh, refresh rude, their, Ken. their Google. Um, so he, he had judge had so much trouble pulling the ball the last couple of years, because if he did pull it, it was a top spin, hook job that he couldn't leave to the pull side consistently unless he was completely on, on cheating. Heater. And if you completely not a, cheat, not on a heater, he couldn't hit heaters. Out to the pull no. Side. Well, he, the, his bat was just going up and left. So you're going to create all this top spin. Now he's staying through balls, to the opposite field, and he's clearing balls out to the pull side because he's actually creating these. When your hands have somewhere to go back, when they have somewhere to go, you're going to be creating depth. As your body, as the pitch is approaching and as your body's opening, you're creating depth. When you create depth, you're getting more inside the ball. You, instead of coming from depth, instead of swinging, so I'm going to, 
if you're watching the video, instead of sticking the bat back as far as it goes first and then swinging, you're allowing the bat to get deeper as you're starting your swing. So you're creating depth later, which means your bat's going to be inside the ball later. Instead of swinging from depth, you're creating depth, and it changes the entire dynamic of the swing. It it's a big, it's a pretty di big difference. And then when he's talking about timing in the article, Rich is like, oh, you got to be, you're ready to hit the ball when the ball's released. You can't do that if your hands are in front of your face. It's a dynamic move. It's the barrel's going back as your hips are opening. If your shoulders are going at the same time, you're in trouble, but the shoulders do need to work more up and down. And the barrel is going to be working back later. That creates direction, that creates depth, that creates timing, creates path. It's allows you to be more adjustable because instead of just swinging left the whole time and losing oppo immediately, if you're not catching the ball in the exact perfect spot, it just it's 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 a very different swing. I, I we've talked about it a decent amount this year. It's been a pretty obvious change that his hands are in a much different position. That he's getting more forward. His swing is more downward as a result which isn't, doesn't mean it's down. It just means it's less upward. He's had a great year. And kudos to Judge and whatever influence Rich has had on him, good for him too. He's had an awesome year. But just don't, like, don't tell me he's ready to hit when the ball is being released because his hands are in front of his face. Slower and earlier is good. But all the other stuff matters too. So i just let you go. Stop telling there. people you're 100% right because you screwed up so many people. It pisses me off. I watched, I've screwed up I, people. Every hitting coach has screwed up people. Just stop telling me you're 100% right. That's all. That's There are so many components that go into this. And the Twitter thread that I wrote the other day was literally a, a contention. I feel like I live in the twilight zone. The last like week or so, I felt like, and this is why I think people are nuts and why I'm like, Am I crazy or is everybody else crazy? I don't know. We're trying to make it so linear. We're trying to make it just one thing. It's, it, it, and I said it in the tweet. I said, it's great if the one thing that you're helping the guy with is the one thing that he needs to hear. This goes directly in line with what, uh, shout out Fundamental Sports Academy in, in Georgia right now. Jason Harp, right? Pelotero user called us, told us about his one of his players. I think it was actually might have been his son that he was referencing. He said, look, he got on Pelotero and he couldn't hit water if he fell off a bridge before and then he started raking. 10 for 12 in his first tournament. And I said, yeah, you know, like, that's awesome. And I, I appreciate that. But you know what we're trying to create? We're trying to create something that allows the player to build confidence that he's working on the right stuff, that he's working on the right things so that when he gets in the game, he doesn't have to worry about it. Does that make sense? Like mm -hmm. we're taking away the 10, 12, 14, 18 year olders doubt that they're not working on the right stuff. So when they get in the game, they're not thinking about their swing anymore. They can think about simple foundational principles, which are beyond time, get a good pitch to hit all those things, right? It's a, it's a whole package though, of elements that we need to be working on at all times. And if one of them breaks down, 
then we need to go fix it. But if we fix that, does it compromise something else? So the idea of let's just add bat speed to someone or let's make them snap the bat behind them. It's all bullshit because everything has an effect on everything else. Like one it's, thing uh, leads like to another, the, one thing we yeah. got another, we got another, we got another. Like they, we, it's not just linear, dude. It's, it's, it's bigger. It's a bigger pie. And I don't understand why that's so hard or, or for people to see. Yeah. It, <clears throat> there's such an emphasis right now on optimizing. And, and I feel in some regards, I think, yeah, you need to work on your strengths to make your strength stronger, but also so much of hitting is fighting your tendencies, the things that cause you to create outs. You have to understand what those are and fight them like your life depends on it. And in the article, there's a quote about uh, Marcus. Is it Marcus Thames? This one is Thames or Tame? Which one? Thames. Which is the, Marcus the former Thames, hitting coach for the Thames. Yankees. Yeah, yeah, it's Thames. Which one is Thames? Marcus Thames? Are they both? Eric Thames and Marcus anyway. Marcus Thames. Yeah. All right. Former hitting coach for the Yankees. He's talking about how frequently he was putting his hands in different positions, searching for the feel he relies on as a hitter. And that he, like, I don't know how other people, like, is that not normal? I don't understand. That being pointed out is like a thing that he did that separates him from other people. I, I don't know what other alternative there is. You're just Fun. literally just taking swings Time because out. it's crazy. Time out. Foundational principle of hitting. Take a basketball-sized area in the strike zone, i.e. Uh, with uh, center point down the middle, right? Wherever you want your down the middle to be. And are you hitting the softball and basketball-sized fastball? The pitch that you know the speed. Right, the speed is consistent, and you understood how to create good body and barrel timing too. Are you hitting that ball squarely? And I don't care where it's going, to be honest with you. If it's going too far into the ground, then it's probably a problem. But as a hitter, you have to be creating a line drive on that ball consistently in practice, right? Whether it's to the pull side, through the middle, or to the opposite field. Because we're going to account for the fact that the margin for error in barrel timing is different. Now, once you start to learn to control the barrel, you can manipulate it. You can keep the barrel further back, and then you can try to get the barrel further out in front. Every time you sacrifice to try to get the barrel further out in front, you're, you're, there's a potential that you're compromising your lead shoulder and your ability to like stay on plane and stay true to that path. So that's why people, when they talk about trying to pull what you're talking about with judge, why he was hooking the ball so much in the past. When you create good path and good swing timing and good mechanics, it allows you to be on that path cleanly for a long time. And as a hitter, what I was always in search of was that that's what you need to be in search of. Cause if you're doing that, you're good. And we can work off that. If you're not doing that, we got a problem, right? We have a problem if we're not hitting the ball in the middle of home plate. It's a cripple zone, right? It's a fastball down the middle. 
you have to be putting good swings on fastballs in the heart of the plate. Period. And then again, what's your line for good enough? Like if it's BP, do you have to be hitting nine out of 10 of those balls good? You have to be hitting 10 out of those 10 balls good. Is it eight out of 10? And then you relate it to the game. And that's how you translate practice into play. You take that information from practice and you say, okay, I can do this consistently in practice. And then when I get in the game, okay, my timing got a little wonky. Cool. Wonky. That's one for today. Chalk it up. Wonky. Wonky. But then, but then you go, okay, out of every 10 fastballs that I got in the heart of the plate in the game, how many did I hit squarely? Did I feel like I had a chance today? And if you're not saying yes to that, then we got a problem. We got to start over. Where's the line? What's your satisfaction level? Right? How many fastballs or can you afford yourself the luxury to swing and miss at or foul back or miss hit and still feel like you're okay? Yeah. All of that. Bottle it up. Drink it. Sip on it every day. Lifestyle. Lather, rinse, repeat. It's called a lifestyle. It's got to be who you are. It's got to be who you are. Uh, moving on from that a little bit, there's a lot of talk about how if Judge hits 62, then he's the true home run leader. I think that's the most absurd thing I've ever heard in my life because there's a guy that hit 73 homers and 62 is 11 less than that. I think he's had a great year. He's had a really, really, really good year. But you can't just erase things that happen. Sammy Sosa hit 60-plus like four times, didn't he? Like, uh, I think he he hit uh, – I think he never led the league in homers, but he hit 63 times, I think, because it was McGuire, McGuire, Bonds, I believe. But there's allegations on him, so – Sammy Sosa went 66, 63, 64. So, like, he has we, three we seasons league, with right? more than – He has three seasons – yeah. He led the league with 50 one year and 49 another. 50 and 49, yeah. But he, he hit 63 yeah. times. So, like, let's pump the brakes. Like, I don't care what the allegations are. Stop. Just it's, it's done. And it is rare. It's not like it's not a rare thing. It's just – I saw one tweet. It was like, all right, we'll take away the the World Series rings for the Yankees because Clemens and Pettit and A-Rod were on those teams. You can't just take it away. You can't stop trying to remove historical stuff like the guys did it. They played. They did it. It doesn't like it's so it's such a tired argument. Like we're it's such a recency argument. It's like a. Oh, I want to be controversial argument. Uh, like, the, dude, the the facts say this. Period. That's it. That's what happened. And you, like, well, judge me. I don't it. know what the numbers were. Yeah, I, I I don't know what the numbers are. But to the whole Maris argument was he had more games than Ruth. So, like, where do you draw the line? Like, do you have to do? You have to beat. You have to beat Aaron. Or sorry, you have to beat Ruth and Bonds. But in the number of games that Bond that Ruth had, because he had less games, and then Maris is not eligible because he played more games, so that's not the rightful one. Just FYI, it's just a lot of focus on the wrong things. A lot of focus have, on the wrong things. I have an opinion, and nobody should care about it. Just the same way Frank from Iowa has an opinion, and nobody should care about it. 
it's just banter. It's like jargon. It's so irrelevant because nobody can ever take away the fact that Barry Bonds hit 73 homers. Period. It's never being taken away. You're done. Like, argument over. Stop talking about it. Who cares? If you ask Aaron Judge, who's the only one really that matters in all this, he'll tell you a guy hit 73 and I don't really care. Like, I'm just trying to be the best version of myself. We try to make these historical comparisons and like, like put guys into these conversations and none of them give a shit. Like they don't care. Like they, they're trying to be the best them. And like, yeah, there's, it, it's like a, it's a line to chase. It's a, it's a place as an athlete where you go to like find motivation and inspiration. But like at the end of the day, it doesn't like you're, you're not like Aaron judge. If he hits 74 or 64 is not going to, feel any better or worse about his season. He's going to feel really good about this year. And he should, because in the, in the context of history, it is like one of the most historically dominant seasons in the history of the game. Because if you look at what he's doing in his peer group, it's insane. It's insane. It's literally, and we can argue. That's the most impressive part. For this season, yeah. that's the most impressive part. But that's also why Bonds is re- Bonds is like three year stretch was absurd because he was doing things yeah. that were like unfathomable for everybody else. That's why Ruth's season was absurd, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. Just playing, you're playing in a in a league of your own, and yep. for in all for all for all <laughs> intents and purposes, in order to not let Shohei Otani be the MVP every year now, somebody has to do something that good. And that's, you know, barring Shohei getting hurt or anything like that. Because, right. you know, he got a tw- – I saw the thing the other day, he got a $25 million raise, and it seems like he's getting underpaid. Well, he's doing it's the like work of two players. You're yeah. paying the pitcher $15 million and the hitter $15 million instead of, you know, paying the one guy – what do you because the, the hitter Shohei Otani might be worth 20 million and the pitcher Shohei Otani might be worth 20 million. So it's crazy, man. Yeah, he it's, should be the highest. He should, he should be the highest paid player in baseball because he does so much. Uh, Mariners back in the playoffs, 21 year drought. The way they did it was awesome. They've been knocking on the door for a few years, but I thought the, the Homer call was awesome. The people went crazy. I feel like Seattle's a good baseball city. Yeah, it's a fun place to play. And it, I mean, it, it goes to show you, I think any team that's tasted it, any city that's really tasted it before, and they had a small taste of it in the in the nineties and the Griffey A Rod years into the early two thousands. Like they had the one year where they won hundred and ten games or something like that. And then they got bounced. 16. Yeah. It got bounced right away. I think it's the it's uh everybody right now that's that were kids with the last time they made it are now adults. Well, who doesn't have the Blue Jays too? Where they who who doesn't have the picture of Edgar Martinez hitting a double and Ken Griffey running through the stop sign in their heads beating the Yankees? But you know what I'm talking about the the age. I think this is what happened Toronto too because they won it two years. Now that generation that fell in love with the team when they were kids. 10 years old, eight years old, whatever. They're young players. They love the team. Now they're adults and they probably have kids and they've been frustrated. They've been, they've been tormented and 
just frustrated for years. And now they get something to rally behind again. So if that's you, what's happening. <laughs> when I was down at Rutgers, um, they have a, they have a catcher they recruited um, from Canada. Sorry. Right. I can't remember his name. Um, he's a freshman this year, really good player and tr- tremendous kid uh, came and talked to me right away. And he asked Evan, he goes, you know, can you introduce me to him? And Evan felt so like, he's like, yeah, I can introduce you to him. He's my guy, you know? And, uh, he came over to me. So you talked about the, did you drop your, it's your honor to meet me line on? Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't. But the, the funny thing was he, I, I fanboyed at Rutgers hard. I was, I was a fan of them more than they were probably of me. And now granted, they have a lot of great kids who really want to listen and learn. Uh, that includes Ryan Lasko, who has a chance to be a, a day one pick this year. Uh, Josh Crota Grower, who's as steady as steady could be. Tony Santa Maria, who transferred in from Iona and just imposed himself on that lineup. Chris Brito, who had a, you know, drove in 147 runs or something like that last year. Um, I, I watched them so much. And obviously, because Evan is a friend of the program. So it, it, it was cool. And I respect that coaching staff so much. Um, Coach Owens is one everywhere he's gone. But anyway, the Canadian kid comes up to me and he's describing stuff to me about he was 12 when we made the run in 2015. So you want to talk about the effect that the the previous generation has on the next generation? Like the parents of those kids are the ones that were, you know, in their teens and 20s in the early Mm -hmm. 90s when Carter hit the homer. And so all the parents, when we made the run in 2015. And, and one of the things he said to me, he goes, it, you know, they're, they're good now, but it's just different. It, it's not the same. And there's not all the built up pain and suffering from it's too recent. It's, it's sustained. They've had sustained success success. Now they're, they've been there versus like Baltimore, like what Baltimore did this year. Baltimore fans were going crazy, and they they peaked a little early. But the same type of thing was happening there, where the the fan base just started going crazy. They were in a frenzy because they're they want so badly to have something to root for. Yeah, it, uh, it it's it's always interesting to see, and this goes back to why people get vested in the sport. You, you want to just believe in something bigger than yourself. And it's really, it's really cool to see teams that haven't done it in a while, which is why I think Seattle, it's just pent up, right? Like, you know, as a player, you feel it, you know it, you understand it because you're reminded of it every day when you walk through the halls and you see, you know, the historical stuff. And, you know, in our clubhouse in Toronto, we had, you know, pictures of what guys did in the nineties. We had, you know, I'd see a, I'd see the Joe Carter Homer once a week. Uh, I would see things that reminded me of those moments, uh, you know, the world series trophy, things like that. And so you're, you're aware of it. You're acutely aware of it. And a team like Seattle, who's never won, um, and putting themselves in the tournament with the position or a chance to at least compete for it is, is awesome. And, they're doing it without Julio too, which is pretty cool. Um, Cause it's a band of a bunch of guys that nobody like really 
cares to think about when they think about the best players. Like Ty France, a really good hitter. He's kind of fallen off. Um, I would venture to say he's probably dealing with injuries. Hanniger was out most of the year, came back, hasn't been great. You know, guys like Crawford are, are putting together good years. Carlos Santana's gone over there and, and not producing the way he has in the past. And they're just doing it under the radar. So go Mariners. Go get them. Teal green, man. Something special about that color. The color, their colors are awesome. Uh, Mets blowing a lead. There was, I believe, up to 10 games at one point. The thing about the Mets is their fan base is is pretty funny. If you follow uh, KFC on Barstool, he chronicles and documents stuff quite a bit. And he's he's just a funny follow because of the Mets fandom. And some of the personalities they have are uh, they're in New York. It's it's easy to to be a part of it. It it feels like the Philadelphia Eagles, where it's like they're just expecting bad things to happen. They feel doomed. It felt like what the Red Sox used to be before the curse got broken. And I used to hate it when it's like an excuse, like oh we're cursed or nothing ever good happens to us. Blah blah blah. From a standing standpoint, Atlanta now has 100 wins, so they're second place to a 100-win team. There's only three teams with 100 wins. The Astros have 104. The Met, the Braves have 100, and now the Dodgers have 110, which maybe people need to pay attention to that a little bit more. <laughs> they're really good. And they've been like three – I think the last three years combined is like the highest win total or something like something to that effect for a three-year stretch. The Mets are really good. I don't even fully understand the playoff format. I don't know if, if uh, Patrick's even capable of hopping on right now to explain one and, it. But one and two like get a, a bye. Three plays six. Four then there's plays a three five. game series. It's a three game series. One location though. No travel. Mm-hmm. So the, the higher seed. So the the best wild card gets home field advantage for the first series. So the against the, against the, the first two first two wild cards. Is it the first two wild cards play? Each other, and then the the last wild card. How many wild cards are there? There's three, right? Three wild cards. So the top two division the winners, top two, get a buy. So the Dodgers yeah. get a buy, and the and other the team, Braves the, are, the Braves will, because Braves, whoever wins, that's why winning the East is so important. Because the yeah. Central is going to play in the the playing series, no matter what. Yep. So interesting. Dodgers win different or run def- differential is 333 right now. That's absurd. Astros are 211. Yankees are 240. 333 is a lot. Uh, thoughts on so we'll talk about it from the Mets standpoint, but then I want to talk about it from the Yankee standpoint because I feel like the Yankees are doing the opposite of what the Mets did, where the Mets were really good for most of the year and they feel like they're kind of struggling right now. Yankees were really, really good early. Had a pretty tough month, and now they're getting healthy. They're bouncing back. They're winning. Thoughts on the role of momentum and how you're playing going into the playoffs? Do you think it's a fresh reset button, or do you think that's team team dependent? Some people is it like if you have if you're playing well, you want to keep playing well, and if you're playing bad, you hit the reset. It, so it depends, right? It, it and this is I think a a different. It's a different scenario right because 
in the past, the wild card game was a one game plan, right? So you want to have momentum, energy, whatever you want to call it. But what it comes down to is the guy on the mound and the first three innings. So you want to get the lead, right? Because playing from behind puts you in positions where you have to be perfect. Alternatively, I'm going to say this because of the format being a three game, a best of three, like winning game one is imperative. <laughs> like it's, uh, it's almost like it, uh, it, it'll be Makes really interesting. Yeah. It'll be really interesting. Right. To say with this format, because in a five game series, like you don't mind if you lose game one. In a seven-game series, you definitely don't mind if you lose game one. So it's it's so it's dependent like starting, it's on like, so many It's factors. like doing an inter-squad. And it's like starting with a 1-1 one, one count. Like the yeah. next pitch matters. And, <laughs> you and you're, two strikes early. And you're so dependent on, like, you know, if you're the Mets and you run out DeGrom in game one or Scherzer, like, and you lose, you start feeling like, huh? Oh my God, like we lost with our guy. So, you know, people try to be predictive. And that's why I think that the Mets lost last night was grimy, right? When you have your guy, when you have one of your horses on the mound, and this is like the predictive stuff that we try to do all the time. And be like, well, the game's over. Well, no, it's baseball. Like anything can happen because there's no clock. It's it's imperative that teams play twenty seven outs in this in this in these moments because you can get behind by three in the middle of the game and you got to get outs when you can get outs and you can't make mistakes and you can't get let teams expand their leads because those are the like those are the backbreakers in baseball. If you look back to and I'm going to use a weird reference, you look back to the Notre Dame Tennessee series, right? Notre Dame wins game one, Tennessee. Molly whops him in game two. The whole objective for Notre Dame in game three at Tennessee, which is hostile environment. If, if you get behind in that game by like five, it's over. You're done. It's, you can't come back. Yeah. The, the, the the snowball is going down the hill and getting bigger. So the whole contention from the Notre Dame staff going into that series and into game three was no crooked numbers. Like, if they get one, you're it's fine. Like if they hit a two run homer, that's a crooked number, but like, okay, you could live with it. But don't give up one and then make an error and walk the next guy. <laughs> because now you're just looking at, at at the snowball getting out of control. And that's how energy gets built in baseball. That's how momentum gets built in baseball. It's all about crooked numbers and shutdown innings, right? Like if you can get crooked numbers and shutdown innings, it's over. You win. Uh, like I always say, score first, score last, and and have shutdown innings. If you if you score first and score last and have shutdown innings, you're going to win a lot of baseball games. This is where it'll get interesting in the playoffs. So I don't think the momentum leading up to the series matters as much as the momentum that you create within the games matters. If that makes any sense. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. That being said, who do you like? Uh, who do you like coming out of the National League? Who do you like coming out of the American League? Well, I would love to revert back to our uh, our early year picks because I don't. I made a lot of emotional picks. picks. I made. A, I, I wanted the Angels. I remember saying that. Yeah, that was purely just hope. 
I think uh, I said Texas was going to win the division, and I should have. I you can never count Houston out because they're so good. Um, and yeah. Texas. Not I, I remember better. saying Hugh, I remember saying Oakland might win 105 games or something to that effect. Yeah. No, I mean because I think I, I think I picked everyone. I said the Yankees were going to win the division. Um, the Central. I thought the White Sox would be better than they are, but Terry Francona it just does Terry Francona things over and over again. Think the, um, the, do you think the Twins have had one of the, the biggest letdown seasons? No, I didn't think the Twins were good to begin with. I really didn't like. They, well, they started made a push out with hot. Correa. Yeah, they started out hot, but yeah. I didn't. I didn't think they were very good. Um, Did you see the quote by Correa about if you walk into the Christian Dior and you just they tell you how much it costs and then you buy it that if they want him they're gonna just have to pay him what it costs? Did you see that line? No. Very out of touch. You're talking to baseball fans and you're talking about. Walking into Dior, I, I didn't like it. Yeah, he's an interesting cat. Um, my national national league. Picks, so you got. I I think I picked either the Phillies or the Mets to go to the World Series, which I still think are. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, it's really, and I, but then I said it's going to be really hard to beat the Dodgers. Like they're just. I mean, they just line them up one player after the other on who, both sides of the ball. Who? Uh, Who's got the shortest game, best bullpen? I don't. I honestly don't know the answer to this question. It, it's the Dodgers. The Dodgers have everything. They have the best offense. They have the is best May gonna? Do you think May is uh, May gonna be relief or is he gonna start? I Clear think starters. he starts. I, don't even know. I think he ends up starting. I think Bueller's out, right? So uh, it's they just everybody they bring up is so good. Have so and many watching. Horses. Watching their games and chartering their games with some of the stuff we've been doing, it is so obvious that they're more prepared. Their game planning is on a different level than everybody else. It's just if you watch the games, you pay attention to the right things, they are consistently in a better position to win than everybody else. It's not even close. They just don't make easy outs. Their whole lineup is tough. Yeah, I mean, they have Mookie Betts is one MVP. Freddie Freeman's won an MVP. Trey Turner's an MVP caliber player. Justin Turner's an MVP caliber player with lower numbers. Cody Bellinger's won an MVP. I mean, like, like it's it's hard to find gaps there, right? But guys like guys like Will Smith and Max Muncie, those guys, even when they're making outs, they're very they're it's just competitive at bats up and down lineup. They have the starters will be Arias, Kershaw, Tyler Anderson, who's been lights out, Andrew Heaney, who's having a rebirth. May's on the DL right now. And then the bullpen. He's on the DL now? Yeah, he's on it right now. Vesia, Evan Phillips, Yancy Almonte, David Price, Caleb Ferguson, Chris Martin was a big pickup for him, Gratterall, Canely. Kimbrel, like Kimbrel, might not even be on the playoff roster. Like, that's how crazy it is. I saw that the Yankees might. They were talking about uh, Raldis Chapman not being on the playoff roster. Trinan, don't forget about Trinan. The Dodgers are deep, man. They're deep. But it'd be interesting to see either the Mets or the Phillies get her done. San Diego, San Diego, huh? Yeah, Phillies are going to get in. It's a magic number down to two. 
Milwaukee has to pull a rabbit well, out of their I hat. Mean, that's, there's three games left, right? Yeah, but one loss, one win, it's over. Yep. If the, if the no, Phillies win one game, Milwaukee. they get, If the Phillies win one game, they guarantee themselves um, at least a tie. A plan. Yeah. I saw the the Brewers. I think have lost ten or eleven games where the the winning run is scored after the eighth inning, and they got rid of Hater at the trade deadline. So yeah, well he wasn't throwing it over. Great. He wasn't throwing it over. But he's but it, now. that's yeah. like it, it's almost like it doesn't matter because if that's the guy that solidifies the bullpen, and then you take out the piece that you th- think is leaking. And then everything opens up. It, it just makes it tough. Yeah. Uh, let's move on. We got a mailbag question. Which swing guru is the closest to elite mechanics? I am confident that everybody on the list is uh, would hate to be referred to as a guru. So the names that were listed were Doug Lotta, Craig Wallenbrock, Richard Shank, TJ Hannum. I added Brad Marcelino. And then you and me at the bottom. On uh, page two of our notes. So the follow-up question, or the question was, what are the flaws in the way they teach their swim mechanics? What philosophies differentiate the popular hitting names that have gotten publicity? So like you can go through the list here and say like, all right, so Doug Lotta is like a forward move, hold your line guy. Like everything is like maintaining your line through the middle. Wallenbrock it's funny because Wallenbrock and Von Skoyak, who's the, the Dodgers hitting coach, um, a lot of lines, a lot of a lot of angles to what they teach. I would say they're very consistent and very almost structured in what they think, very systematic is my understanding. Uh, Rich, obviously the one-leggedness, the snap, the stretch, the his own language that – is what it is. Uh, TJ Hannum and Brad Marcelino to me are, I think those two are the ones that consistently put out the best looking swings on social media. Brad was, was with the, uh, in AAA with the Mariners this year. So he's been quiet. Um, but consistently over the last couple of years, I think Brad and TJ do the most consistently good work when it comes to social. But I think TJ is the most diplomatic when it comes to this stuff where he, he stays out of fights, he understands that the, there's no benefit to uh, getting in fights online and he just keeps his nose out of it. He's smart and that he has a product that he sells with the, uh, the half bats. So he's got a, he's got a bigger vision and he cares more about the people and the relationships. Brad has worked with a lot of guys, a lot of guys that aren't public, a lot of guys that are public but those two, to me, put out the most consistently, like, stable swings, I'll say. I, I would venture to say that most of us are all working in generally the same direction. It's angles, it's body positions, it's movements. I think Rich is the, the most different if you read Swing Kings. He, there's some line in there that said like the reason he knows what he's talking about is because he teaches the same thing to everybody. And the, the reason that all of us don't know what we're talking about is because we teach different things to different people. In some regard, I can respect like 
that you're that sold, you're that bought into what you're teaching that you think everybody should do it. You think you're that right. But I think it's pretty short-sighted in that there's different body types and there's different, there's just different strengths and flexibilities and mobilities and like you're dealing with different human beings. And I think the most underrated thing with this entire topic is every player has their own kind of baseline swing that they is natural to them. Their neural pathways of what is normal to them exist before you get them. And then also, unless you started with them when, since they're three years old, four years old, they've had years and years and years of education and knowledge built up. So you're getting handed that. And speaking from experience, the bigger your name is, the more guys will come and try to seek you out. So there's, it's like, are you a good coach or a good recruiter? type thing when it comes to colleges. Like if you're getting good talent, you're going to look better because the talent's better. Um, and there's a balance there of, I think most hitting coaches want to work with good players. They want to impact the game at the highest level. Call it ego. Sure. It's ego. You want to be at the top. That's I think just human nature. You want to work with the best. Um, I don't think that's a bad thing. It's just the reality of it. Like as a player, you want to get to the big leagues. You want to win World Series. You want to be an All Star. You want to you want to have success. So as a hitting coach, it's, there's no real difference with that. But you, when you get better players, you look better because the players are better. So let me give you my two cents on all this, right? You can give so me three cents if you'd like. Oh, three cents, nice. So players have. Players are always looking for better, right? You're, you're just looking for better, generally speaking. So the, the, the advent or the, 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 the growth and development of the private swing coach or the, the, the open, like the opening up of the, the, the channel that was the private swing coach or private hitting coach, whatever you want to call them happened because players felt limited based on the characteristics and paradigm that exist in affiliated baseball, right? And in any team environment, we we're just talking about that this weekend. The, the team coach has restrictions, time restrictions, constraints, like you can't give your full self to a player because you don't have the opportunity and the time to be able to do it. You just don't, you can't like, you can't give yourself to a guy and make that be your only focus. So players that are seeking out added validation needed to have another source. So with you and I, we, we saw a gap, right? And, and the reason why it worked with you and me was because a, you were my friend and B, because you were my friend, I trusted you. I thought you were crazy at first, but I was willing to listen because of that, that trust, right? So what happens to players is they go down a path and then based on how much they trust a person, you either get full buy-in, some version of buy-in or limited buy-in. And then the results have to validate what you're doing. Because if the results don't validate it, then you automatically throw the guy out the window and say he's full of shit or crazy or whatever. 
I think the trust is the most important piece because if you trust the person, you'll allow the information to apply itself in a way that it does help you no matter what. It's like, I, and I, I use the analogy of like stuff that I used to talk about with Rich, where Rich would say swing across the table. And in my mind, I was supposed to swing from up to down and then flatten out up front. And he would say swing across the table. And for like six years, that didn't mean shit to me. Like didn't mean anything. I didn't just, oh, okay. You're like, yeah, because <laughs> I trust you and I believe you and I like you and other things you've said to me are true. But I never thought about swinging across the table. I just thought down, flatten out and extend. And then later on down the road, I went, oh, now I know what Rich was talking about when you and I started talking about delivering the barrel from behind the baseball. I'm like, oh, that makes so much sense. So who's more right <laughs> or who is closest to elite? Like, it just depends on how you resonate with their messaging. And then, so like what's happened to every one of these guys, they've, they've, we've all gained ground in the industry with somebody, right? Whether it be Aaron Judge or Chris Colabello or Josh Donaldson or whoever the player was that had success. And that, that success then puts you on the map. So because of the information age, now people find out about it. That's why Arnado went to driveline because he went to see because it's like, oh, driveline's saying this. So Arnado went to find out. He also went to everybody else too. So like you go find out once the, 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 the person or the, the methodology gets any sort of traction in any capacity. So there is no right. There is no more right. It just depends on how you connect with players and how you can get them to relate to what they need to be accomplishing. Cause at the end of the day, like most people see the swing the same, right? Fair. Like in some version of the same. There's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of similarities across the board in terms of positioning movements, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Where did Chris go? He was just doing a whole bunch of stuff and he walked away. Well, I forgot um, that my cord was not plugged in. So I had to go get it. Yeah. It's just uh, like to touch, to touch on driveline, <clears throat> the, the overemphasis on bat speed. I understand why they sell bat speed to say that one mile per hour of bat speed is worth $6 million because it's worth a one point of war. To me, that's the most just overstated, simplified. It's, it's absurd to say that out loud, in, in my opinion. <laughs> um, and then they did, the, they did the tweet about Mookie Betts. And if Mookie Betts improved his bat speed, well, what would, how good would he be if he improved his bat speed? But they're not saying like, well, what if that, what if by doing that, his mechanics change and his ability to stay on certain balls is lost? And there, it's like your your huge thread that you did. There's so much more to it. There's so much more to it than your bat speed number. The bat speed, like if you can hit the ball 110 miles an hour, like do you really need more bat speed? Is it more important that you're getting your good swings off? more consistently because your your bat speed on unconvicted swings isn't going to be high. 
Like you need to have more convicted swings, which is more about approach and about being on time than it is about your bat speed. It's just, uh, so, uh, let it's me, such a shallow way of looking at it. So if you look at every player, and this goes back to the creative player thing, if you look at every player on like a spider chart, right, where you have lines going out and then they all connect on the outside, like some somebody's got like a ton of points here and they have fewer points here and maybe more here, whatever. The, the, the thing that we're discrediting by just saying harder, 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 more bat speed, more bat speed, more bat speed is like every point that you add to bat speed might take away for a point somewhere else, right? So if you, if you think about faster, harder, faster, more, harder, whatever, then yeah, you're how lose, is the bat speed being created? Yeah, you're going to lose some element of control. Right. So is, does Mookie, uh, does he have to get stronger to do that? And if he gets stronger, is he going to lose mobility and get hurt? Like what? <laughs> There's which a is, lot it, it's why the growth has to go from like, it, like we have to think about growing holistically instead of it's, it's the whole, it's the same argument as we made with like making the ceiling, like not trying to raise the ceiling, but raising the floor. Right. Like if you raise the floor, the ceiling will move up like the whole thing will move up instead of like, let's try to. Make I had an analogy that I, I forget who I said it to, but I said, you're you're pushing the floor up by or you're pushing the ceiling up by pushing down on the floor. So like you're you're trying so hard to make your ceiling go up, but you're pushing the floor down at the same time. So you're your worst is getting worse, even though your better is getting better. So because, like, yeah, you're. <clears throat> You're going to hit a, an extra homer because your bat speed's a little bit higher because you're swinging out of your butt. But you're creating holes across the, the whole zone and you're creating timing problems. Because at the end Keep of the going, day, sorry. because at the end of the day, the whole thing is about barreling the most baseballs. If you hit the ball on the good part of the bat, you're going to be good. That's like literally what Justin Turner does. He just squares more balls up than everybody else. And like Justin Turner, in order to square the most balls up, has to swing less hard than other people. Now, does he sacrifice something when he when he really crushes a ball? Sure, maybe. Like when he when he lays into a ball, when he nuts it. Like, could he hit it harder? Sure. But like he's made a decision that he wants to be a guy that hits 300, like, which is the same argument I would make about Judge. And then the irrational the irrational statement of what if Mookie Betts had two miles an hour or more of bat speed when he won the MVP, he was the best player. And you're telling me he, Oh, he could have been better. Yeah. Guess what? Everybody can always be better in baseball because the best hitters hit 330. They don't hit 972. They hit 330. So yeah. Are there two more points in there? Are there two more points of slug? Are there eight more points of slug? Sure. They're all, they all exist. But we're, we're like, it's an intertangled web of shit. Like, that's the problem is like, if you add one place, you're probably taking away in another. And that's why here's it's a, so here's a point about Mookie, though. Keep going. It's so Keep irresponsible. Keep going. I got a point about Mookie. Like, it's so irresponsible to say this shit. And it drives me insane because like, all you're doing is spinning the data to make it make the argument that you make on the outside, which anybody that like, and that's the reason why that, that thread got pushed to us by so many people is because it's literally so counterintuitive to what you're selling. Like 
you're telling me that a bad player can get better if they increase their bat speed, but then you're telling me that the best player would have been better if his bat speed was higher instead of saying, no, 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 his bat speed wasn't the highest and he was the best. That's why everybody is calling bullshit on this. He was the best and his bat speed was not. So you're full of shit. You're full of shit. And to your point, like I get why you sell it. It's because you can track it. It's it's easy. It's very easy to quantify those numbers. Well, they have they're selling they're selling a set of bats for six hundred dollars. They have the weighted balls. They have a lot of reasons to sell it. And sure, whatever business got it. I just want to know which month Mookie had the best bat speed because in April March he had two thirty. Uh, in May he hit 342 with 12 homers, pretty good. In June he hit 193. He only played 13 games. Pretty sure there was an injury there. July 248 with six. August 330 with nine. Pretty good month. So maybe his bat speed was better in May and August than it was the rest of the year. September August 229, three homers. Not so great. I just I think Mookie Betts swings fast enough. Right, he swings as fast as he swings to feel control that he needs to feel control so that he can be successful. Which, he would probably feel out of control if he tried to swing faster. Which is why, Not to mention the fact that acceleration is probably more important than the bat speed number anyway. Which Go is ahead. why, which is why in this data and tech revolution that we're going through and systems and like the building of systems, like this the systems have to get built with all the considerations. The systems have to get built with all the context. And so many of the systems are being built without it. And ultimately, Bobby, what it comes down to is how do I deliver something to the athlete that will allow them to feel like they can improve their game from the inside out, right? From the, from the center and expand that way from the, from the floor and increase the floor. It, it's directly in line with the, the stuff Joe Madden was saying about like, we just have to give players nuggets of information. If you overwhelm players with information, they're going to lose their core principles. Like your core principles still have to exist in hitting beyond time, swing at good pitches, stay in the ground, whatever your core principles are from a mechanic standpoint, what are my, what are my foundational things? Stay in rhythm, keep moving, whatever they are. Like I found that my core principle in mechanics was keep moving, right? I found that my core principle was, can I get my hips to turn while the barrel's still working back? Those are the things I needed to feel. And you and I got obsessed with how guys took pitches because it was an indication of how the swing was about to happen, right? If I see a guy take with his hands pushing forward, like probably broke down at some point. Then you want to add the next layer, which is like, okay, when do those things need to happen? Okay, so we, we need to be on time, right? It, like, it's really hard to be on time, perfectly on time. It's really, really hard. So if I'm going to give myself a window to operate out of, do I want to risk, like, being on the early side, being on time and being late? Or do I want to risk operating between any version of early and perfectly on time? Now, if I'm too early then obviously I'm going to sacrifice optimization, right? The only way to truly be optimal hit in hitting is be on time, on time. It, like if you're on time with your body, on time with your swing, that is optimization, right? Like barrel delivery, 
at like perfect impact with the, the elbow probably bent at some something close to 90 degrees. When you impact the baseball that way, it's probably the closest thing we, we experience to perfect. The challenge becomes if you are late moving, then it's very, very difficult to make up for that. I'm not saying you can't, and I'm not saying you can't hit a ball with a late barrel and still like hit it hard, but you, your your window closes. Your margin for error gets way, way smaller. Case in point, Joey Gallo and Cody Bellinger, really, really talented hitters who are late as shit all the time, and they give themselves such small windows to hit it in terms of timing. So guys like Justin Turner alternatively say, I'm just never going to be late, and I'm going to give myself the chance to to square the ball up more often. And I might not be doing it with optimal outputs, but man, oh man, am I a better hitter than those other two guys more consistently. Joey Gallo and Cody Bellinger have a chance to be MVP caliber producers when it's all right for 162 games. But guess what? Over the course of 162 game season, you wake up some days, you don't even know which leg is the right one and the left one. Like, so like, don't I have to have something to survive with? And that's why this game is so much about how good can you be when you're bad and not how good can you be when you're good? Period. End of statement. I'm done. Should have just let you go there. I was trying to get a word in and you weren't done. Sorry. It's good. It's good. Um, and I, I just had a thought while you were talking about what does early mean? And people use the term early, even though early is just on time. And it's like, I think most people, most, especially young hitters, I think a lot of just people don't realize that loading early is like saying, start your load before the guy throws the ball is another way of saying it. You have to be, you have to be ready so much earlier than you think to be on time. So it, it gets, uh. The, the messaging gets confused a little bit, but all good things. Good rant. Nice job. Your tech. I know we got multiple, we get some business techs going on right now. Yeah. And then I have to deal with dog stuff. All right. I, be, I anyway. believe in you. You're going to get it done. <laughs> it um, is what it is. That's man. it. You can, you, you do your little, do send us out and then I'll, I'll take care of the intro. On that note, now that we've spoken passionately about the hitting mechanics world and the revelations that are happening in hitting on a day-to-day basis, go to app.pelotero.com and check us out, man. You can, there's some stuff you can start doing on there. So anybody that uh, organizations, coaches, teams, you can create accounts now, which is cool. Like creating accounts is cool. Got some individuals who are... Uh, starting to get on there, starting to upload some videos and we'll be able to generate programs very shortly. Maybe yeah. today. We're going to we're not even going to this is going to be this is going to be leaked out slowly because we want users, we want feedback. We're not just going to go crazy announcing it. So, Pelotero listeners, pickle listeners. This is like that I think the first like actual announcement that's been made. So nice job releasing the product. Well, it just means that somebody's going to get through it. It just means that somebody's going to get through an hour of our podcast to be able to know. Yeah. John Murphy will do it. Do your pickle out. 
John Murphy will do it. On that note, I go out.